Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Let's get into this tonight. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And um, I don't know really what I'm calling this yet. Don't wear a... uh, sweater when you're playing drums, just in case you were ever wondering. Very bad idea. Um, And then I have to preach on top of that, so I know y'all are freezing, but I'm burning up, but that's all right. I I will sacrifice my bodily warmth for your comfort. Right, because you can't hear anything I'm saying. I'm, I've studied all week long. Tell you the Hebrew and the Greek of this and that. Get out in the foyer, Pastor. It was cold today. Did you hear anything I had to say? It was so cold I couldn't hear a word you were saying. I did all that work and it was cold. That's what. That's all you got. Okay, guys. All right. I'll remember that next time. That's all right. Matthew chapter eleven. Matthew chapter 11. I don't know what I'm calling this, but, um, you know, I have felt this assignment. Last week, I actually got to minister at Millennial Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma with Pastor Paul. Such an honor and privilege to be with him. And and I've told them that, you know, I have felt this assignment, you know, for our church, but, you know, for myself as a pastor that something shifted a couple of years ago. And, um, and I'm not saying this is for everybody. You know, a lot of times we can take a, a, a physical assignment or an individual assignment and think, oh, that's where the church in general needs to go. Or that's what everybody, you know, I, I can't say that. But I, I do know that we are walking in days and we're walking in an hour uh, as the church where a lot of things are coming to light. Just to put it, you know, lightly. A lot of things are being exposed today, aren't they? A lot of things are being uh, unraveled. Um, it, it's it's no more, you know, it, today, if you are deceived, you're choosing deception because th- things are just so blatant and in your face and so, uh, you know, evident that things are being exposed and what was once in dark is now being brought to light. And so I have just felt a different assignment as a pastor and as a church Uh, You know, I've said it before, not just finding those that we can go to church with, but who can we go to war with? There's a battle. There's a fight. Pastor Earl actually just put a, uh, there was a thing out on his Instagram today or whatever that he just put out. He said, there's really only two fights. There's only two battles, the fight of faith and the fight for the kingdom of God. At the end of the day, those are the only two battles that you and I are waging war on and called to wage war on. And and in this day, we're going to have to be very Um, intentional with our battles because there are a lot of other battles we could fight and there's a lot of arenas we could rise up in there's a lot of things we could speak to and there's a lot of things that we could uh, you know uh, engage in but we're gonna have to be very let me just give you this word I'm just getting it in the spirit right now we're gonna have to be very intentional with where we keep our engagement because there are battles out there that the battle that the enemy wants to throw at you and you'll waste all your energy and effort on the battles you shouldn't be fighting, and you'll have nothing left for the ones you should be fighting. Are y'all hearing me tonight? We cannot pick a fight with everything that comes along, with every chaos and every confusing uh, idea and, and every agenda and every... You're going to have to know for, your, for yourself individually, for, our, for us as a church, you know, there are just some fights I'm not going to engage in. I'm not going to have it zap my strength And then when I need to be in the wilderness face-to-face with the enemy for 40 days and 40 nights, I don't have any uh, uh, sustenance. I don't have any strength, uh, you know, to take on that battle that God has assigned to me. We're going to have to be very cautious in these days. And so, you know, there's just been a lot of uh, 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 realigning. You know, I keep getting this word restoration. There's going to be a lot of restoring of values, restoring of, and and what I'm seeing and kind of where I'm speaking to in these Wednesday nights for, you know, however long this goes, is I've watched the church fall back into a passive state. 
You remember we, we read out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 uh, two weeks ago, the week before uh, Chase ministered last week. And we ministered, you know, Paul was encouraging the, the church at Thessalonica, don't draw back. Don't become fearful. There are those that are coming in behind to attack. There are those that are coming to oppose. You know, what did he say? If you don't work, you don't eat. And obviously there's a natural, practical element, man, if you're not putting forth effort. But what he was saying was in the last days, we're, to, we're called to what? Reap a harvest. Pray to the Lord of the Lord, of the, uh, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers, right? There's a harvest we're supposed to be reaping. We're supposed to be drawing in. But if we're not working, we won't be reaping. Meaning the, the, the natural tendency in this condition, in this environment, is to withdraw, to detach. Really, I have seen um, two responses out of the church in the last two years. And they're both extremes. Neither one is correct, and neither one uh, will, will bear us the, the fruit and, and yield the results that we want. The first response is extreme frustration and anger. There are some of us that get moved to just anger, frustration. I mean, it cuts to the core. It, 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 it just... And yes, there, there, are, there is a righteous indignation. There is a righteous anger. There is a righteous frustration. But the frustration can't ever move us to discounting and discrediting what a move of God can do to the point that we can't be sensitive to the spirit and to the point that we, we want to attack physically where we need to be attacking spiritually. Y'all hearing me? We do not war against flesh and blood but against every principality and power and might and dominion in heavenly places, spiritual forces of wickedness. You got to keep your eye on the goal. The enemy is, he, he works in the art of distraction and deception. And if he can distract you, he will destroy you. So frustration, extreme frustration, extreme anger. The other is the extreme opposite. Passivity, God is in control. God is sovereign. What will be, will be. So just sit back and ride this thing out until he comes back. Two extreme opposites. Both are incorrect on their own. And I'm going to show you today that God has an answer for that, to, to bring that into balance, to bring the frustration in, but to also understand where we stop and where God starts. Because there is a need to understand what role does God play. What, what, where, 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 where do my, um, where does my influence end in one sense, and then God picks up the rest of that? Where do I, okay, God, I've, I've done my part. I've preached, I've ministered, I've stood for truth, but, but that's all I can do. And, 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 and if, again, the enemy will wear you out. We talked about this on Sunday. He'll wear you out that if he knows he can't get you to just blatantly run away, then he'll get you over into religious works trying to do stuff that you can't do thinking that you can cause something to happen. So the state of the church and the, and the state of our position and, and how are we answering to the chaos and how are we answering to the crisis? And you, you hear me say it all the time, crisis reveals who you really are. Crisis reveals what you really have. You don't know what you have until crisis shows up. You don't know how strong your marriage is on the honeymoon. You find out on Monday when you get back and the, tooth, the toothpaste cap's not on. And the toilet paper goes that way. And they leave that there. And they don't put they don't pick that up if they right? I mean, you're not sleeping much on your honeymoon, but then you get back and you try to get some sleep, and like you snore like that all night long. What? You don't find out what you have in comfort and when everything's no, you find out what you have in crisis. And I think the church found out what it had, but also what it didn't have. It's deficiencies, it's weaknesses, it's areas where uh, we didn't have the full armor of God on. Maybe we had the armor of God in righteousness, but we were really struggling in the belt of truth. Hello? Come on, we, we might have known that Jesus came and died for our sins, but we didn't know how to stand up against wickedness. And So we, 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 we've, we've got to build some stuff within us 
that we can be the answer and we can be the solution and we can be all that God has called us to be, I remind you again that everything that is happening is only evidence for your existence. Darkness, depravity, destruction, uh, immorality, uh, wickedness, it only proves further why we need you in the earth today. And like Pastor Roddy said at Kingdom Rise, God calls in the best of the best at the end. You got the A team on the field. Come on, Smith Wigglesworth ain't here right now. Kenneth E. Hagan ain't here right now. Paul the Apostle's not here right now. Come on now. David's not here right now. Gideon's not here right now. Jesus is not here in the flesh. He left it up to you and I. Amen. I was just listening to a, a, a conversation today kind of in regards to the, you know, church's response to chaos and church's response to crisis. But the, the one element they continue to leave out that is, you, you, you can make it sound as pretty as you want. The one element they continue to leave out is if you don't know who you are in Christ and know your authority and your position in Christ, you will, you will not yield the results for the kingdom of God. And honestly, guys, I, I know it sounds harsh, but really you're just contributing to the problem, not the solution. It's almost like just set aside and let people who know their God and who knew, know who they are and, and, and are ready to step up for things because the passivity is creating a, 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 uh, an image of the church of weakness and the, the world is feeding off of that. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Of all the religions, of all the belief systems, of all the faiths, we are the only one that poses a threat in the last days. What they are so afraid of ought to be an indication to the strength we ought to be working in and operating in. If we're not posing a threat, we might be on the wrong side. But they don't care about Buddhism. They don't care about Hinduism. None of that poses a threat. They encourage it. But all of a sudden, Christians stand up in a bold stance. And, and, and boldness is being redefined today. You know, I, I have a lot of people say, Pastor Mark, I really appreciate your boldness. I appreciate you just speaking straight. Guys, I don't really feel like I'm being that bold. I don't feel like it's really bold to say, this is a man, this is a woman. My two-year-old knows that. Mommy, daddy. I can show him a boy and a girl, and he's never going to confuse it. And he's two. He's two years old. I don't feel, but, but see, what happens is, is we've lowered the bar on morality so low that boldness, that what was once just normal acceptance is now just this extreme, man, you're so bold, I can't believe you would say that. Why are you, like boldness in Acts was your life is on the line. Boldness in Acts was, we'll take your head off right now. Boldness in, you know, I love the Peter and John's response. It sounds so casual and, and you know, veneer on the outside. I know it just sounds so simple when, when you know, they said, you know, don't ever speak in the name of Jesus. And their, their response was basically, you do what you got to do. We're going to do what we got to do. I know that sounds easy. But do you understand what they were standing up against? 50 days earlier, they saw their master hanging on a cross, beaten so badly you couldn't even recognize him. These were not people that could not follow through with the threat. They were not just casually, and I want to make this clear, we're not just talking about the American church. We're talking about the church globally has got to get its voice back. Globally has got to stand up against these pressures. And honestly, in our country, mate, we, we probably have the easiest case on the planet, to be honest with you. I heard someone say recently that, honestly, the, the church today has more religious freedoms than any Christian has ever had on the face of the planet in its entire existence. In over 2,000 years, the American church has more religious freedom, and I'm afraid we're not doing well with that. I'm afraid that we are doing less with more. We've given, we're given more of a platform, more of a stage. Guys, we can do what we're doing here with, with really no fear of, of shutdown or doors being locked or heads rolling or any of that. 
being going to jail. We we don't have we, we as it stands today, we are existing in the freest government, as much as we may not like it, and as much as they may oppose it, we're still operating and enjoying some great benefits. Will it always be that way? I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not a politician. I'm, I'm not, I, I, I'm not a, 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 you know, poli-sci major. I, I, I don't, these aren't things that come natural to me. I just know that the church has got to have a different response and we've got to have a different voice in these last days. And when, when they're okay with our religious rituals and practices, but then the moment power shows up, all of a sudden they start bowing up and pushing back. That says something. And a lot of churches have allowed the world to define how they should operate. You can hand out waters, uh, hand out water bottles after a hurricane destroys a city. You can come pray with our mayor and our city council. But the second you start casting out demons, laying hands on the sick, seeing them recover, standing up for morality, drawing the line in the sand, you know, all of a sudden there, there comes the persecution. I mean, there are individuals in our country right now that travel all over the U.S. holding services and holding worship services that have been threatened with their lives for doing that. So we've, we've got to have a different response and a different approach. In Matthew chapter 11, I've given you plenty of time to turn there. <laughs> in the New Living it reads, and from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. Notice that violence breeds violence. Forcefulness breeds forcefulness. Y'all with me? And the kingdom is forcefully thrusting, forcefully advancing. And the opposite reaction is to forcefully try to shut it down. Forcefully end it, thwart it. Forcefully. You know, Matthew chapter 13 is very clear. There is only one word, only one message that the enemy is coming after. He is coming to steal the word of the kingdom. And I can tell you right now, when I heard and was introduced to the word of the kingdom in 2009, things changed in my life, and there was a forceful opposition that showed up, a forceful disruption. Even within the church as we began to minister, all of a sudden people that were supporting us, backing us, with us 110%, helped us start the thing, all of a sudden they start talking, they start building you know, little coups within the church, they start getting disrupted because that's what the kingdom does. The kingdom does not quietly and passively introduce itself. That's why we make hard statements. Like Jesus didn't come preaching heaven. Jesus didn't come preaching the cross. Uh, Jesus didn't come preaching born again. Uh, you, there's no such thing as a sinner saved by grace. We make these statements to dismantle and disrupt religious activity because the, the kingdom doesn't mousy, quietly, you know, creep in. Let me just give, let me, give me 15 minutes. No, it's a forceful advancement. It's a forceful thrust. The Passion Translation reads, from the moment John stepped onto the scene until now, the realm of heaven's kingdom is bursting forth. And passionate people have taken hold of its power. The Amplified reads this way, and from the days of John the Baptist until the present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault. And violent men seize it by force as a precious prize, a share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. So notice the, the forcefulness is on both sides. It's both by those that go after it with everything they've got, not the rich young ruler. That's not forceful thrust. That's as long as it's convenient, as long as it makes sense. The kingdom of God is not for people that they, it has to make sense. The kingdom of God, the advancement of the kingdom of God is not for those that it's got to check all the boxes and it's got to be convenient and it's got to be comfortable because the moment he got disrupted and go sell all that you have and give it to that real that, that revealed his heart. You don't really want in on this thing. 
And I need someone in Acts chapter 4 that can stand before governors and emperors and Caesars and people ready to take your head off and say, you do what you got to do, we're going to do what we got to do. And the rich young ruler is not a candidate. It's not a forceful thrust. It's not a forceful, uh, uh, you know, going after. But in like kind, the opposition, you know, one thing, you, you read it. Jesus was casting out demons in synagogues. Now, the question I have is, why were those demons so comfortable in those synagogues before Jesus showed up? Why did it take Jesus to show up to? Isn't that amazing? Demons enjoy religious activity. Demons enjoy entertainment and performance. Demons, demons they're not going to get called out. But Jesus shows up on the scene and all of a sudden every demon in hell is coming out. All of a sudden, these demons were there all along. Why didn't any of those Pharisees ever deal with any of those demons? Because the kingdom shows up and the kingdom violently thrusts forth. And it attracts and draws a violent response. This is not for the faint of heart. This is not for the weary. This is not for the casual church goer. This is not for the, I, I prayed a prayer now when I die, I know I'm going to go to heaven. This is, we are on assignment. We are receiving our uh, orders, marching orders from heaven directly. We've got work to do. Everyone say, we got work to do. There's an advancement. Look at Acts chapter 1. The kingdom is advancing. The kingdom is thrusting forth. It's violently and passionately, not passively, being introduced. And you and I are on kingdom assignment. You and I are here not to play church, not to play games. We are here to influence the earth with heaven. I'm never going to grow tired of saying this. I'm never going to grow tired of saying this. You and I are here not to go to heaven, search for heaven, but to bring heaven. We've got to get that perspective. Set your minds on things above, not on the earth below, but that's only so I can introduce the earth to what heaven looks like. So Acts chapter 1, I'm reading this out of the CSB. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, that's the book of Luke, because this is Luke talking about all that Jesus began. Everyone say began. Why put that in there? Why not just say all that Jesus did and taught? It's very, it's very um, important to recognize the wording in the word of God. It says he began to do and to teach. Everyone wants to, uh, you know, not everyone, but there's a lot that believe that the book of, End, the book of Acts is the ending Miracles, signs, and wonders, and ministry gifts, and the operation of the Holy Spirit, and, and these things cease. Well, that's, that's really just an excuse to not live to the standard and the high calling that God has called us to. But, but there, there's nothing else in the rest of Scripture consistent with that thinking. There's nothing else that supports that theory. That's the theory of the weak-minded. That's the theory of the casual. That's the theory of the ones that, you know, just want to get by with as little investment as possible. No, it says that he began to do and teach, which means there's a continuation of what he was doing and teaching. He's just getting things started, man. He only was in ministry for three years. That's not a very long time. Three years of ministry. He was just getting things rolling, man. He's like, look, I'm just giving you the template. Jesus didn't come to show us what he could do. He came to show us what we could do. Come on. It was a training session. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was a training session. Here's your manual. This is what it looks like to cast out demons. This is what it looks like to lay hands on the sick and see This is what it looks like to stand up for righteousness. This is what it looks like. Now, go do it. And I mean, really, if you look at, at, at the, the apostles, the, the, the disciples, the, even the 120 and the you know, we would all say unqualified. 
we would all say, wait, that, they're not near trained enough, developed enough. Sometimes I think we take too long with our development, too long with thinking we can be used, too long. We, we have to meet so much criteria. You know, Peter, just a few days earlier, lopped a guy's head off, or uh, ear off, not the whole head, but he was going for it. We know he was going for it. He wasn't just trying to get the ear. Right? That wasn't, that wasn't much long before what we're reading right here in Acts chapter. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, Peter gets out and, but you realize just days before that he had denied Jesus three times. If that was me, I'd have been like, dude, you ain't running the day of Pentecost. Just sit down. We got somebody else. You denied me three times. You're going to have to work your way back up. Jesus said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. He asked them three times and said, all right, man, let's go do this thing. Day of Pentecost, I need you preaching. Let's go. 3,000 people coming in on that day. Wow, isn't that incredible, guys? Stop thinking you don't meet. Stop thinking you don't, you're not good enough. Stop thinking you got too much mess going on. You chopped off ears lately? <laughs> Come on, I mean, we're talking rough dudes. And Jesus is like, bye, see ya. I'm going to heaven. Take it from here. Man, I love the Bible. I do. I just love the Bible. Until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So he's instructing them for this advancement, this violent thrust. He's instructing them for what this, you know, he's already spent three years. Now he's preparing them for this transition saying, all right, I'm going to the Father and I'm instructing you in the kingdom. I've shown you, I did it myself. I didn't just teach you, but I taught you and was an example to you. These works that I do, you will do and even greater works because I go to the Father and now he's getting ready to go to the Father and now he's instructing them through the Holy Spirit. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. What was he talking about? King, how did we miss this? I mean, it's, it's consistent. The one consistent theme throughout the entire book of the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21 is the kingdom of God. This thing's about a kingdom, guys. This thing's about a government. This thing's about a government system. And this is what I'm trying to get across is that as long as you are merely approaching this as a faith system, a belief system, a religious system, Jesus did not come to introduce us to religion. He didn't come to start religion. He came to end religion. He came to disqualify religion. He came to show us that religious activity can't do near what the kingdom of God can do for you. It will fail in its attempts every time. But I've got a kingdom that's immovable, unshakable. I just talked to pastor earlier today, and I just said, you know, I, I don't know how this worked for a lot of people, but I woke up Wednesday morning with, with, with my faith no, no less strong than it was yesterday. Regardless of what happened overnight, regardless of counting, regardless of, of who did this, I woke up today just as secure in my faith in the kingdom of God because I know I belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I know that it's immovable, unshakable. You cannot challenge it. You can't vote him in. You can't vote him out. Come on. We're not rewriting the, the constitution, the word of God. It is set in stone what God speaks. He cannot, he's not a man that he would lie. He's not going back on it. He's not taking it back. Come on, this is, this is good stuff. This is how we become the solution rather than part of the problem. Because I've got a kingdom. I've got a kingdom. And this is all that Jesus talked about. This is all he was his whole ministry was just obsessive over this kingdom. The kingdom of God is like this. And the kingdom of God is like that. And he's looking around for, for, for natural things to compare this kingdom to. This is all he ministered on. He was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. What's that? The Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, the helper, right? The comforter, the uh, intercessor, the standby, the advocate. 
this is what Jesus was introducing to them in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Hours before he's arrested, he's introducing them to the person of the Holy Spirit. And now he says, do not go anywhere. Do not do anything. I've, I've instructed you about the kingdom. I've revealed the kingdom. I've shown you the kingdom. I've exemplified the kingdom. I've, I've talked about the kingdom. I've ministered about the kingdom. Now, don't do a thing until the Holy Spirit. Until. Go and wait. This is the, this is the component many people are missing today. We're trying to do kingdom work without the kingdom agent of the Holy Spirit, the person being personally introduced to us, living within us, and coming upon us. Not just the Holy Spirit that comes in salvation. Why are we seen with salvation? You know, Paul had that conversation. Well, which baptism were you baptized into? Well, the one of John. Oh, well, there's, no more, there's more to this thing. You need the Holy Spirit to come upon you. So that must be a pretty important component. That must be a pretty important deal. We cannot be expected to do kingdom work without the Holy Spirit. They're they're one and the same. If you're going to go out and you're going to do kingdom work and you're going to be bold, you better be full of the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean a one-time occurrence. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and I came down front and they prayed over me and I spoke. No, I'm talking about a continual refreshing of the Holy Spirit. You're going to find in these last days, you're going to need the Holy Spirit more than you ever thought you did. Boldness is not something you conjure up. Boldness is not something you wake up and say, you look at yourself in the mirror, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to stand up today, I'm not giving in today, you grit your teeth. No, we're talking about a supernatural agent coming alongside you. You're going to say things, isn't that what Jesus said? Well, what do, what do we say when we stand before him? Don't worry about what you'll say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say in the moment. Didn't he tell them that? And then that actually happened in Acts chapter 4. That was a, I don't know what to say right now, moment. And then out of their mouth. And it wasn't super educated, right? Isn't that what they said about those men? Acts chapter 4, I think it's verse 13. When they recognized that these were not educated men, but they had been with Jesus. <laughs> uh, it's time to recognize people that have been with Jesus. It's time to recognize some people that have been with Jesus. Hallelujah. No, he said, wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you've heard me speak about. I mean, I've, I've put emphasis here. I've, I've taught you about this. I've shown this to you. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Verse 6. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Now, that's a very legit question. Because in prophecy and in history and in the Old Testament, through the prophets and through uh, the, the speakers that God, the, the sayers and the seers that God would send, it was, it was the constant understanding that the, the kingdom of God would impact the earth. Yes, it's spiritual. Yes, it's not a kingdom that has a territory on the earth like the United States does or Canada does or or France does, or England. No, it's not in a, in a physical domain. It's a spiritual kingdom, but it is designed to impact the earth. So much so that it could be confused as a political movement. This is where a kingdom perspective really helps because if we're only thinking religion, if we're only thinking Christianity, this won't make sense. But God, Jesus, was introducing a kingdom that would make its impact in this environment on earth. Didn't he say that? Pray this way. Father who art in heaven, how would be your name? Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth. As it is where? In heaven. On earth. That was Jesus's prayer. That this kingdom become evident, impact, influence, 
this sphere down here. So the unseen would become seen. So much so, Jesus made this in, this uh, emphasis and uh, stressed the value of the kingdom of God so much so that even his own followers and disciples that followed him the closest confused it with, so, so is this how we're overthrowing the Roman government? Is this how we're, they're, they're thinking practical. They're thinking natural. They're thinking that, that we're going to come in and we're going to march in. Our king's going to go before us. And, and just as we've been taken captive, now we're going to be able to take them captive. Because this right now, this is a moment of crisis. The book of Acts, the church was born in crisis, guys. The, what, the, one of the greatest moves of God this planet has ever seen, Acts chapter 2, in one day. I don't know that we've seen that type of response in the church since then. But that, that type of move took place in the midst of threats to lose your life, of watching Jesus be crucified. They were actually still enslaved in one sense to the Roman government, even though the Roman government uh, gave them liberties that they could still study their own learnings and, and still, you know, uh, you know, hold to some of their own history. They, they, they were still under the rule and the thumb of Caesar back in Rome. They're, they're not a free people. This is not promised land, guys. This is not the wilderness. This is not the other side of the Red Sea. This is bondage. Acts chapter 1 and 2 is bondage. They're under someone else's rule. And so instantly they're thinking, so this kingdom's going to come, and we're going to come out from under this Roman rule. Well, you read the rest of the book of Acts, you know that's not true. In fact, every single one of Jesus' disciples lost their life for this cause, for a kingdom cause. Every single one lost their life. Every single one laid down their life sacrificially. This, this was not promised land, take over the territory. Man, it's just blessings. We're all getting cars. We're all getting free travel. Uh, you know, it's just abundance in this and abundance in that and more food than we know what to do. I mean, this was chaotic. Crisis mode, full-on crisis mode. You've heard me say it before. The church historically has done better in crisis than it has done in comfort. And we just saw it in our own nation. Guys, we had four years of a man in, in, in the White House that backed us, supported us, gave us freedoms that you know, we, we weren't really enjoying without some type of tyranny and without some type of you know, finger pointed in our face. He, he, he backed us. For four years, he did. And now for the last 24 months, we've seen the opposite. Godlessness, wickedness, immorality to the nth degree, making up new ways to be immoral, making up new ways to sin. Gone to the extreme. And in 24 months, we've seen that completely turn around. But I think this is a moment where the church can be thriving. This doesn't mean that we're being shut down. This doesn't mean that our voice is quiet. This is where we rise up and our response will determine the effectiveness of the church in these last days. If y'all remember when six years ago in this church, if you were here, which that was just a handful. I, I don't even know how many of you have joined within the last six years, but I would say most of y'all. I said, this is not a time for the church to draw back in comfort because we got a man up there that's supporting our agendas and doing what the, the church, what we know is biblically right and biblically valued. We're going to have to strengthen ourselves because on the flip, we may only have four good years. I said that. It's recorded somewhere. I said that when he got in office. So this is chaotic. And so they're asking, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And maybe we're finding ourselves asking that question. Really what they're asking is, is this when you are going to come? Is this, is this when you are going to restore? The, is this when you're going to come and get these Romans off our back? Get, get us out from under their thumb. Get us out from under their rule. And there's a lot of Christians crying out for that right now. And the problem with that 
is you have excused yourself from the equation. Up to this point, they've watched Jesus begin to do. Up, and, up to this point, he's instructed. Up to this point, they've watched his ministry. Up to this point, and, and Jesus is about to flip this thing on its head. Because they're saying, is this when you're going to restore? And Jesus, in essence, flips it around and says, uh, no, this is when you're going to restore. The church. I'm leaving you here for a reason. Remember the prayer in John chapter 17? I don't pray that you take them out of the world. Most Christians don't know that Jesus prayed that because we're praying the very opposite. We're praying the opposite of what Jesus prayed. We're saying, God, take us up out of this world. And Jesus specifically prayed, I'm praying that you don't take them out. Isn't that hilarious? No, he said, I pray that you guard them from the evil one. Meaning, They'll be right in the midst of the chaos and the confusion and the wickedness, and they won't be touched by it. They won't be touched by it. They'll stand for righteousness. They'll be a pillar of truth, just as the word says the churches ought to be. A pillar and standard of truth. So they say, is this when, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But, here it is, verse 8, you will receive. That's probably not what they were looking for. You will receive power. Well, if you receive power, then guess what? That means you are going to do something with that power. Now, you remember in Matthew chapter 28, you know, he, he, he said, all authority and power has been given unto me. Now, you go lay hands on the sick, see and recover, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, cast out demons, drink any deadly poison, it will not harm you, take up snakes, it won't. But he's still in the context of this is what I have. Now, Jesus is referring this and saying, deferring this, delegating this, and saying, you will receive power. The question was, Lord, are you going to restore? And he flips it back to them and says, no, I'm not going to restore, but you're going to receive power. You're going to receive power, he says. When the Holy Spirit has come on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He makes it expansive. He says, you're going to end up touching this, this that I'm leaving in the earth. It's going to end up touching every sector, every corner, every area of the earth. You and I, you and I, the church of the living God, we are the one entity that has the capacity to reach every corner of the earth, every single corner of the earth. That's the advancement. That's that forceful, violent thrust. But it's going to require a, a, a responsiveness to the chaos and the crisis of the world because the more forceful we get, the more forceful the response gets. Have you noticed that lately? The pushback, the agendas, don't, don't be confused. Don't buy the lie that we do not belong in certain sectors of society. I mean, specifically when it gets into politics and we get into, you know, who's running, the, the world is quick to remind us that we should not be speaking on or, uh, uh, you know, speaking to Who's running for office? We need spirit-filled people in office. But let me tell you what's happening. Spirit-filled people are running, winning, and the church is not backing them. And we're leaving them out to dry. We're leaving them hanging out there because we're too scared of what they might do. 
We're too scared of them pulling our 501c3 status. We're too scared to stand for righteousness. We don't want to ruffle feathers. We, we want to remain, and, and, and the world tells us that we're supposed to be passive and quiet and separation of church and state, and they don't even know what they're talking about, and it's all a ploy to keep you in a corner. They'll give you airtime in the middle of a pandemic, but the second you say something they don't like, they're going to cut your airtime. It was a ploy, guys. It was a tactic. Oh, hey, you can't open your doors, but you can. we'll give you free bandwidth. That only gives them control over what we, what we say. And if it goes out, think about it, guys. This is not hard. They're canceling people left and right. You can't comment. You can't speak up. You can't bring your side. And this is the crazy thing. We haven't changed our position. We haven't all of a sudden decided that righteousness is the right way to go. We haven't all of a sudden decided. And, and, and they will point the finger and call us the divisive ones. No. No. Now, the kingdom is divisive, yes. I think we value unity way too much. There are some things I don't want to be unified with. There are some things I cannot be unified with. There is an unequally yoked that's taking place in the house of God. And the divisiveness, but the world will point and say, you're being divided. Actually, I'm not. I, I'm in the same place I was 10 years ago. You're the one that moved. You're the one that introduced this idea. You're the one that's saying that this is that, the up is down and down is up. And, and, and you're the one. I, we're not being divisive. We're standing on the same truth we've always stood on. I've literally changed nothing in my position. And so they want to, I know spirit-filled people that are in office. I know one that just won state senate in the state of Oklahoma. I've stayed in his house. He's a true man of God. There, we've got a, a spirit-filled uh, uh, representative in our city. Guys, in our city, right here in Valdosta, Georgia, in Lowndes County. And there's more that are rising up. As they take office, as they get out and they're standing, the last thing they need is for the church to. And so they're getting out standing for moral truths and biblical agendas and biblical values, and they turn around, it's like, well, where, where's, my, where's my support? Oh, well, that, that's what you're, no, 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 no. This was a political mess in, in the book of Acts. So much so that, that the disciples were saying, is this when you're restoring your kingdom? Kingdom is a government term. It's a government word. And they were talking about a real physical, natural kingdom, guys. Is this when we're starting our kingdom? And then he had to remind them, whoa, whoa, whoa. This isn't about a natural overthrow. A physical overthrow. This is about a sphere of influence in a realm that God still wants to inhabit and God still wants to see changed. This is, this is why we, we've got to shift from this Christianity, religious view, biblical world. This is a kingdom. This is a government. God's answer for the world today is government. It's just not man's government. It's his government. And so this is where we have to get our voice back. In the Amplified, it reads this way. Uh, I'm going to start with verse 4. And while Jesus being in their company and eating with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, of which he said, you have heard me speak. John baptized with water, but not many days from now, you shall be baptized with, placed in, introduced into the Holy Spirit. So when they were assembled, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will reestablish the kingdom and restore it to Israel? Again, they're thinking the, 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 the kingdom that David was king over, that King Saul was king over, right? They're thinking a physical kingdom. He said to them, it is not for you to become acquainted with and know what time brings the things and events of time and their definite periods or fixed years and seasons, the critical niche in time, which the Father has appointed, fixed, and reserved by his own choice and authority and personal power. 
but you shall receive power. Here it is, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. The church has responded in two ways. It's either been extreme anger and frustration that has cut us off from the love of God and cut us off from valuing those that are far from him. Or we found ourselves in a passive, uh, detached, disengaged state where we're not actively involving ourselves in the forceful thrust of the kingdom and we're just waiting until we can get on to the by and by. And he says, I have an answer for that. The frustration and the anger and the extremism and the retaliation and the, the want to defend. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, we don't need to defend ourselves. You do not need to defend ourselves, yourselves. Do not engage in things that destroy our witness. Do not engage in things that affect our witness. You're going to find a lot of disagreements. You're going to find a lot of opportunities to be find yourself. And, and right now, guys, the, 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 I, even just in the last couple of weeks, I've been very surprised and disappointed at who I have found on the other side. There's a thinning of the crowd. And it can be easy to come up and say, oh, my God, how can you do that? How can you see that? You're leading those people astray. Why, what, you know, why, why, why does it seem like the ones with the loudest voices have nothing to say? Now, I'll be honest, last night watching, watching the map fill up, all the blue mostly is in the Atlanta area. We're going to have to go to war for Atlanta in this state because it makes up it was way too close, way too close. And all that blue, and I know several churches in that area, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000. Are you serious? These rural areas with 100 people, measly people in their churches are, are doing more for the kingdom of God than we are on these, because we are wanting people's pleasure. We're wanting to, the applause of man over the approval of God. We want popularity over principles. And they've been moved by the large crowds. And, and I, there, there has been some wickedness happening, not just in the city. I'm talking in the churches in that city for a long time. And we're going to have to stand up against some of this garbage that's taking place in Atlanta. This is our state. And everything goes through Atlanta. And we're going to have to stand up. And this is the stuff I'm talking about. If you don't like this, then you're disengaged. You're detached. You're, you're, you're in a waiting room somewhere. You're in the terminal waiting for the plane to land and take you away with your bags packed. No, we're going to have to go to war with, about some of these things. Okay. So the anger and the frustration, the Holy Spirit is the best resolution for that. The Holy Spirit is the best. Man, I tell you, when you start getting angry and frustrated, pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. It'll get you back into the love of God real quick. It'll get you back into a right response where you don't discount and discredit your witness. I'm not saying that it's an improper response, but the Holy Spirit will help you navigate it and channel it. You know, I'm reminded of the one pastor that said, you know, all these people that, that say, you know, we got to abide by our elders and abide by um, you know, the, 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 the word says to honor your leaders, pray for your leaders. And I love the pastor two years ago in the middle of the pandemic. He said, you do realize that that was written by someone that was in jail for not honoring their leaders and continue to preach the kingdom of God. Apparently, there's a way to honor without aligning. There's an honor without there's an honor without compromise. There's a respecting without can't go your way, man. That's too far. You do what you got to do. We'll do what we got to do. That might just be my response. The next time a shutdown comes or you need to close your doors or you do what you got to do. We're going to do what we got to do. That was good enough for Peter and John. It's good enough for me. And I can do that without dishonoring people. I can do that without disrespecting people. But, you know, John the Baptist lost his head because he called out 
got here, here here's just another quick fact man i got to move here's just another quick fact the 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 people in the bible from genesis all the way to revelations impacted governments and government leaders every single one abraham went before kings moses went before pharaoh that's a king these are government positions guys elijah prophets elisha these prophets uh, esther was a queen come on samson confronted kings david confronted kings david was a king jeremiah guys our impact in if if we pull out of government now we'd be the first ones jesus went before caesar went before emperors, went before Roman centurions, went before the governor, Pontius Pilate himself, Paul, right? Paul went before the emperor. Paul went before Caesar. That would be like going before the president. Who, who in the church is going before the president? Daniel, Daniel, guys, went before the king, was serving the king, and then when an evil king, he said, what did he say? You do what you got to do, I'm going to do what I got to do opened up the, win the, the windows, kept praying to his God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego broke the king's decree. And now all of a sudden we want people to think that the church shouldn't have any involvement in government and politics? Come on, guys. And these weren't politicians. They were believers. We have had an impact in government systems all around this world since the institution of the Bible. Abraham took a tithe to a king before a tithe was ever commanded. <laughs> oh, man. We've got to shift our thinking. Don't buy the lie. The Holy Spirit is the perfect resolution for the passivity and the detachedness and the lack of Honestly, guys, what it is, it's a spirit of intimidation that's trying to shut the church down. What did Paul tell Timothy? God has not given you a spirit of, I'm not talking about a natural fear. We're talking about a spirit of fear. That word fear is actually translated timidity. Timid. Timid Timothy. He says, God hasn't given you a spirit of timidity. This is a young man. Timothy at this point is a young man that he's handing this church over to. Why would he be timid? Why would he be fearful? Because there's a forceful thrust. There's a forceful, violent opposition. Do not be timid. Paul told that church in Thessalonica, do not detach. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't stay about the kingdom cause, you will not reap the blessing, the harvest that Jesus told us to pray for the Lord of the harvest to bring. Got an assignment here. Whether we like it or not, guys, we have an assignment. It's time to embrace it. It's time to embrace our call. I'm not talking about picketing. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, you know, being a disruption in the sense of just, you know, being weird and just speaking out. Uh, I'm talking about a, 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 ah, a strategic. When a military goes to war, they don't just knock the doors down and say, all right, where are they at? It's strategic. They map this thing out and they plan their assault and they plan their defenses and they, they have their, they, they know. It, I mean, it's very, and who's on my left? Who, who's got my six? Who's got my, who's on my side? You know, and who am I going in with? And what's our assignment? What's our call? And we're only to go in and do this and we're coming back. I mean, it's very strategic. That, mm, that's just the word right now. The God is setting up the church for a strategic advancement in these last days. This isn't just knocking doors down and just commenting on every every post and and saying whatever we want and just going off the off the cuff with this is a very strategic planned hear from the voice of the holy spirit how are we going to go in and do this thing i want us to have a heart for this nation i one of the things that i just see happening is is just christians are just getting wore down just getting tired 
not even intentionally. They want to be in the fight. They want to be, but they just getting worn out. Pastor Mark, I can't stand up against that anymore. I'm, I'm the only one in my, in my office that believes this way. And I know, you go against the grain long enough. That's why he said, go and wait. Don't just watch me go into the clouds and say, all right, where are they at? Where's Pontius Pilate at? I need to talk to you. No, go wait for the promise of the Father. And you'll have a strategic plan laid out before you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.